I'm Carrie Miller. Each week, I have a brand new episode of Big Books and Bold Ideas, a show where readers meet writers. You can catch it on Fridays or stream it anytime you're ready to listen. But every week, we also give you a deep track, a conversation with a writer from the archives. Now, you may hear a writer whose work gives context to the fresh episode, or you may hear a previous show with the same author. And I hope that will give you a sense of the arc of the writer's creative expression. You're here because you care about books and reading. Thank you so much for listening. This is Midmorning. I'm Carrie Miller, and I don't want to rain on your New Year's resolution parade. After all, they're shiny and new, and you have every intention of willpowering right through them. But if you've made a resolution list, you've set yourself up to fail. Why? It's one of the insights, among many, revealed in John Tierney and Roy Baumister's new book about willpower. The authors write that researchers like Baumister have, quote, come to realize that most major problems, personal and social, center on failure of self-control, and that poor self-control can be linked to many, many problems. We're going to talk about why in a moment. Our guest, John Tierney, is a science writer. He's a columnist for The New York Times. He's the co-author of Willpower, Rediscovering the Greatest Human Strength, and he's with us from New York. Welcome back, John. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Carrie. Happy New Year. To you, too. Uh, I'm going to come back to the New Year's resolution thing in a minute, but I I have to say I found what you wrote about decision-making and willpower really eye-opening for myself especially and kind of counterintuitive. So I want to talk about that first. You say the link between willpower and decision-making works both ways. Decision-making depletes your willpower, and once your willpower is depleted, you're less able to make decisions. I just came back from Iowa, John, so I'm thinking about (laughs) politics, and I've got to think about how that applies to politicians. They're very depleted out there now, right? They they are. (laughs) So talk to me a bit about the link here, the connection. Well, um, uh, Roy Baumeister found out that willpower is this physical resource. It's this mental store of energy, and we uh, tend to associate that classically with resisting temptations or making yourself work, and it does do that. And there are lots of lab experiments where they – you know, they test people's self-control before and after they do things or they resist temptations. And, they, you know, they'll do tests like they'll how – um, how long can you hold your hand in cold water? How long will you keep working at a puzzle? How long will you uh, uh, squeeze a grip? And then they discover it, and, and as you say, very counterintuitively, that decision-making has the same effect as resisting – you know, Roy's famous original experiment involved uh, where he found out about willpower was when students had to resist these freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. And afterwards, they had less self-control. And so they did a lot of these studies showing that – you know, replicating this and showing that it happened. And then one of his um, – a, um, a, a Jean Twenge, one of his, his doctoral fellows came in and she had just uh, been preparing for her wedding and <laughs> reading about this this phenomenon of, of, of your willpower being depleted which Roy named ego depletion it sounded to her like the way she felt after going through her bridal registry she said you know they had to go through and make decision after what kind of silver what kind of plates what kind of everything you know what color towels do you want to make and she just said she felt completely wrung out so they did these experiments and they had people make decisions in, in, in the laboratory and they found the same effect, that people had less self-control afterwards. They, they even went into a mall um, and found that people who had done, made the most decisions shopping you know, had less self-control as a result of that. It, and, 
I, I was going to say, I, I think the reason this feels counterintuitive to me, John, is when I'm making a lot of decisions, I feel empowered, not depleted. But there's something else clearly going on. Well, you I mean, you're right about the empowering in the sense that once you make the decision, it clears your play. And we have right. a chapter in the book where uh, we visited David Allen, who did, you know, the Getting Things Done author, the GTD system, as it's called. And he's got this amazing office where it's, his desk is completely clean. There's no paperwork, no inbox. And that feeling of getting to zero, of making decisions and, 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 and closing these loops, as he calls it, 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 that does indeed make you feel empowered. And in fact, Roy did other experiments that showed why. It's something called the Zagarnik effect we could talk about. So you do feel better after you get that off your desk. But the act of doing it still, that does deplete your willpower. It's the same way that if you pass up dessert, you may feel virtuous doing it, um, but you're still going to, but that does use up willpower. If you make yourself work for eight hours, you might feel good that you did it, but you're going to have less energy available to, uh, to keep doing it. You know, one of the other findings on this that that relates to political leadership is the connection between making compromises or trade-offs and willpower. So it's true, isn't it, that the more our willpower is depleted, the more our ability to compromise is limited. Do I have that right? Exactly right. Uh, because compromising is a really difficult thing. You've got to weigh, you know, costs and, you know, you know, pluses and minuses. Like when you're shopping, you have to weigh quality versus price. And and once we get depleted, we start looking for mental shortcuts to conserve energy. Now, one thing people do is they just avoid the decision and put it off. Another thing is they don't think it through at all and just say, well, just give me the cheapest thing or give me the best thing. Then They won't make a compromise. They'll just say, you know, just do one dimension or the other. And this has been demonstrated in laboratory tests when they ask people to, to, to try to make these trade-offs. After a while, they stop um, you know, really thinking them through. And it's been demonstrated also in some interesting you know, real-world experiments at, at a car dealership in, in Germany where people were actually – these were real car buyers who were choosing which options they were going to have for their car, everything from the color – of the interior, you know, the, what kind of engine, what kind of tire cover, you know, a wheel covers, everything. And the researchers, they, they varied the order in which people would make these choices. And they found that basically everybody started running out of willpower to make decisions. <laughs> so at first they would really think through what kind of engine, what kind of color do I want? But after a while, they would just start doing whatever the default choice was because it got to be too much. <laughs> and they found that by varying, and the researchers weren't trying to make a buck here, but, they, but it certainly had implications for marketers because they found that depending on when you put the expensive options, you know, like the engine versus the color, you know, something, that when you put that in the decision-making process, where in that list of choices, mm -hmm. that made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it could make a difference of 2,000 euros per car <laughs> in what you spent, depending on when they asked you when you wanted something. John Tierney's with us. If you've just joined us, we're talking about his book. He's the co-author with Roy Balmister called Willpower, Rediscovering the Greatest Human Strength. And I've got to tell you, I, I read this with great interest, this idea that we've just start, started talking about with as you make more and more decisions, your willpower gets depleted. We're going to talk about the biological background here on willpower, what researchers are finding out about glucose and its role in willpower. I want to know from you, have you used willpower to accomplish a goal or make a change? And do you think of yourself as someone with strong willpower or self-control? Or is what we're talking about this morning really making some sense about your own perception 
of your willpower. 651-227-6800-242-2828. You can reach me on Twitter at CarrieMPR to Eric in St. Louis Park. Hi, Eric. What's your perception of this? Hi, Carrie. Um, well, personally, something that I find, um, first let me say I work as a massage therapist in the Twin Cities and mm-hmm. down in Lakeville, mm-hmm. and um, I coach a lot of my clients with things that have to do with willpower, and I find that something that's important is prioritizing, and for me, it's focusing on really one thing at a time and not getting too ah, spread out. Ah, yes. Um, with uh, one of the first steps I think that I find important to avoid that depletion is the idea that you can forgive yourself for when you slip. And uh, and another important thing is not telling people because then you've got something to prove to other people other than yourself, and it becomes kind of a ego trip rather than uh, rather than um, something that would be done to really genuinely um, help yourself. You know, Eric, you've hit on something, though, very important when you said focusing on one thing and not spreading yourself too thin. That turns out to be quite important, doesn't it, John? It does indeed. In fact, one of our big pieces of advice for New Year's resolutions is just make one because you have a finite supply of willpower and it's better to focus it on making one change rather than thinking that you can do you know six at a time because then the resolutions all start fighting each other. You're using willpower for one and another and, and, they, and, they, and they interfere. So if you have more than one resolution, it's better do them one at a time. You know? and, and after you get used to something and it becomes a routine, once something becomes an automatic behavior where you're just used to doing it, then it requires requires less willpower because you're not having to make that decision. You're, it's simply something that you do routinely. Then you can try to consciously change something else. John, uh, what, what do you do about There will be a lot of people listening today who have made a resolution to diet, to lose weight. Now, that entails all day making decisions about what to eat and what not to eat. Doesn't that deplete your willpower? Um, it does indeed. And that's one of the reasons that that that, that dieting is... It's the most typical New Year's resolution. It's also the most difficult. Um, and it's the one thing, you know, uh, the one bit of good news I, I would say to people is that people get very discouraged because they can't meet their weight loss goals. And, and they feel that it's a sign that they, have, that they have sort of inherently weak willpower. Well, the good news is that of all the things, you know, willpower will help you in so many ways that, you know, people with stronger willpower, they do better in school and at work. They're healthier. They're wealthier. They're happier. They're personal relationships are better. Um, there are all kinds of things. But the one thing that it correlates with the least, you know, the, the most weekly, is with weight loss. And that's because it's so difficult to do it. I mean, you can tell yourself to stop drinking, and then and that's one decision you make, and you, and you can do it. But you can't tell yourself to stop eating. You've got to, you've got to keep making decisions all day long what to eat. And that really does deplete you. We should talk about the biological angle of this, though, now, because that, that's very important when it comes to dieting. How essential, how big of a role does glucose play in the strength of our willpower, John? Um, it's a huge role. That's the fuel that, you know, that gives us the energy for, for willpower. And, and, it, and we get it from lots of different foods. 
And in the laboratory experiments, they've shown this, that, that simply giving someone a, a drink of lemonade with real sugar, as opposed to the control group that got lemonade with Splenda, that when you do that, it improves somebody's self-control because they've got this new source of, uh, of energy that is, that, you know, it's the glucose gets broken down and it gets turned into mental energy. And so this is, is, is another of the reasons that dieting is so difficult because there's this, you know, we call it the catch-22 for dieters, that in order not to eat, a dieter needs willpower. But in order to have willpower, a dieter <laughs> needs to eat. So it's very, it, it, you know, it's, it's really a tough thing to do. And so don't try to starve yourself all day long. It's, you know, and, and, and we don't recommend, by the way, eating, you know, drinking lots of sugary drinks. They use that in laboratory experiments because it's a very quick way to measure an effect. But, but you're better off eating, you know, uh, healthier foods that release glucose over a longer period of time. So you've got it all day long instead of these spikes up and down. See, the, this is this interests me when it comes to fasting. And uh, one of our producers here tried a two-week or a 10-day fast or something. Your glucose level drops precipitously like that, but she had the willpower to, to finish the fast. She you, got out you know, of that catch-22. That's a very interesting effect, isn't it? Um, I, I I suspect, and, and I haven't studied fasting. That's a really interesting topic. I, I suspect that the body has mechanisms that after a while that it hasn't been getting food, it shuts down somehow because huh. it knows it's in trouble and it better somehow adapt or maybe go look for food instead of concentrating on hunger pangs. I, I, you know, I don't know how that works. But, but people do say that when you say the people that go on really reduced calorie diets will say it sounds terrible, but after a while you, you get used to it. Uh, and the body adapts somehow. So there may be something to that. I, but that's an interesting point you raise. I'd, I'd, uh, it'd, be, it'd be very curious to see what happens to faster self-control and other things. To the phones to Allison in St. Paul. Hi, Allison. Thank you for waiting. Hi. Um, I just had a question. My, my husband is an ER doc, and as such, he has to make a lot of split-second decisions all day long. Mm-hmm. And I was curious if people in career fields such as that uh, tend to be more addiction-prone or if there's some other consequence that they see in their daily lives. That's a good question. Uh, uh, that is, a, someone who's making decisions all day long has less willpower at the end of the day to deal with other things. And, and um, talking about addictions or talking about giving in to imp- – and we talk about being overcome by impulses – what actually happens is it's not that the impulses become stronger. It's that our ability to deal with them declines when you have less willpower. And so what happens is, you know, toward the end of the day of making a lot of decisions, you have less willpower available to resist temptations. And so I think that there's something that, you know, whether it's food or cigarettes or alcohol, whatever it is, you're more prone to give in to that temptation because you have less willpower to deal with it. It was interesting. After after my co-author uh, 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 did this work and showing that willpower got depleted uh, during the day, he talked to another psychologist who had, who had counseled couples um, for years. And on his own, he had started telling couples who were really you know in bad shape, he would start telling them to come home earlier um, uh, from work during the day, which uh, at first seemed a little counterintuitive. Why, if you're having trouble together, mm-hmm. would you want to spend more time together? Mm-hmm. But he found that they were just leaving it all at the office, that they all their willpower went there. And when they got home, they didn't have the patience to tolerate things from their partner. And so by getting home earlier, they saved something for each other. This hour, it's willpower. John Tierney with us into the phones to Akshay Rao from the U. Hi, Professor. It's good to have you on the line. Hi, Carrie. How are you? I'm good. What are you working on? Well, I'm um, I'm display, displaying a deplorable lack of willpower because <laughs> I should be working on a manuscript where we talk about the effect of 
trade-off choices ah, uh-huh. on subsequent purchases and the depletion that occurs when, when subjects are presented with choices that represent trade-offs, like your guest was speaking of uh, with the German auto- automobile example, versus choices that are much simpler, which are dominant, um, dominant where, where there is a dominant choice. And it turns out that after making choices that involve trade-offs, our subjects are so depleted that when we ask them to choose again, they stick with the same choice. Really? Whereas folks presented with a choice set which has a dominant alternative are perfectly willing to switch to other options when they're presented the choice again. Interesting. Because they're not deple- depleted. They're, uh, they're not engaging in what we call heuristic processing. So that's entirely consistent with, with Baumeister's uh, work. Uh, that's the first thing I wanted to mention. The second is uh, there is this, the, the metaphors that are used in this literature are either that uh, the resource is a reservoir, which gets depleted, mm-hmm. or self-control is like a muscle mm. that when it gets overused, it gets tired. But there is also some evidence that when you uh, use this resource over time, when you, when you flex this muscle over time, your ability to engage in willpower actually increases. Huh. And so practicing, um, practicing uh, avoiding temptation actually makes it easier over the long haul so, to avoid temptation. So, Professor, you are saying that um, you may not deplete the resource as much if you are consistently using willpower. Little, little acts of resisting temptation over the long haul make it make the muscle stronger, and you are more able to resist temptation, uh, the, the big temptations when they are presented to John, you. John, how, how does that fit with that? Uh, by the way, uh, Akshay Rao is uh, an expert on marketing, so yes, it's interesting I, to hear his view. I know, uh, 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 the experiment sounds fascinating, and, and the analogy of the muscle is, is, you know, is just right on. I mean, uh, uh, one of Roy's um, early experiments was that they were trying to figure out how to improve people's willpower, and they, they tried various things, and to their surprise, they told students to go home for a week and just uh, sit up straight for the next week, you know, just when you're at a desk or at a meal or something. Just you, know, you just try to remember your posture and sit up straight. And when they came back to the laboratory, they did other tasks that had nothing to do with posture, but they had better self-control. And that is that it is like a muscle that gets fatigued during the day as you use it, but but as you exercise it, you do build up its stamina so that, you know, it, it's like a runner that he gets tired at the end of a uh, of a run, but then each day he has more and more stamina as he does it and uh, as he or she does it. So that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's uh, one of the classic analogies of, uh, of willpower, that it's like a muscle that, that gets fatigued, but it can also be strengthened. Professor, thanks for calling. Thank you. This is fascinating, but I I need to get back to work now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Strengthen, you well, a... <laughs> well, you're strengthening your muscle. <laughs> you want there to listen go. to the show through the end, then go do it. Hey, John. Yeah, right. uh, one of the things that I wondered about is whether there is uh, there's some research going on into a genetic link to willpower, and I'm thinking of this in that you might have inherited personality traits that would give you more success in resisting temptation. Um, there, there almost certainly is some genetic link. I, I, I don't think um, I don't know of research establishing just how important that is. But genes matter in, in almost everything, so it's reasonable to assume that people um, do inherit that. And now, that there certainly is evidence showing 
that parents with good self-control tend to have children with good self-control. And part of that reason is probably genetic, but also part of the reason is is that it takes self-control in order to to, to instill self-control. You know, yeah. uh, one of the big aspects mm. of uh, improving self-control and willpower is is setting a goal mon- and monitoring progress and then enforcing and enforcing rules. And that's what parents do. And it takes a lot of effort to, you know, to keep an eye on children to and to reward or punish them. It doesn't have to be a strict punishment. It doesn't have to be a huge reward, but it should be consistent. And that takes a lot of energy and a lot of self-control to do it. So a parent who has good self-control is more likely to have a child with good self-control. Makes sense. To John and Mankato. Hi, John. What's your experience with this? Yeah, well, I'm kind of just reiterating what the last caller said, but um, basically uh, a few years ago I quit smoking and I had this idea that if I fasted while I quit, it would be easier because then when I was done smoking, I could start eating again. John! And I guess it worked, and and I guess the idea came from um, the practice of Lent. I'm Catholic, and I always practice, uh, you know, 40 days of fasting every year in Lent. And I kind of see that the same way every year. I, I see it as a chance to kind of recharge my self-control, you know, more like a tank that I can fill up. Right. You know, but John, I mean, what the I, I think, and John Tierney will agree with this, that really the research would say that you were not helping yourself by trying to do two very difficult things that require willpower simultaneously. And yet it right, worked that, for that, you. Uh, uh, but it did work for you, John, though, doing both at the same time? Yeah, I, I guess my attitude was, well, it came from, you know, researching quitting smoking, and I, and I found that the actual physical withdrawal symptoms are over in like, you know, two days or three days. And so I figured after the withdrawal was over to distract myself from, you know, starting up again, I'd be satisfied with just being able to eat. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it worked pretty well. But, anyway. but you fasted before you quit? I'm sorry, I, I still don't understand how you did it. No, it was simultaneous. Simultaneous. I decided to fast and quit smoking at the same time. Okay, well, that's that's really... I mean, one thing that helps is, is breaking associations and habits. And so then if you associate with having a meal and then having a cigarette after it, then if you're not eating the meal, then you, you lose some of that association. And that's why breaking habits can be easier to do on vacation when you don't have the, all the usual cues. But fasting and quitting smoking, that's, uh, uh, that's quite heroic. He, he ought to be the subject of another experiment, don't you think, John? Absolutely. <laughs> to the phones to uh, David in Minneapolis. David, you're a faster, too? Yes, I am. Um, the The entire topic of willpower is fascinating to me. Um, I run a gym where the majority of my clients are looking for fat loss, uh-huh. and one of the, the fastest growing bodies of research right now is intermittent fasting, where you're fasting not for a 10-day period or a week, but 16 to 24-hour fast. Mm. And what we see is um, most people do not have the ability to go more than 24 hours without food, or even 24 hours without food if they've if they've been used to eating a lot of smaller meals. I'd have a hard time doing that. Yeah, exactly. But within just a few weeks of working within their limits, they're able to function just as well as they did when they were normally eating during a 24-hour fast. So for them, training, lifting weights, uh, working at their job, everything functions just as well, if not better, while they're fasting, provided that they worked within their limits in the beginning, maybe starting out with a 12-hour fast then a 16, 18, 24, and so on. And, and so well, how often do you do this, David? Um, I've done 
variations where I'll fast 24 hours once a week, and I've also done 16-hour daily fasts mm. where I'll basically mm. fast all day, and then I have time in the evening where I can eat a couple meals, and then I won't eat until the next evening. Gee, that's like Ramadan, uh-huh. actually. Yeah, exactly, and they've actually studied athletes in Ramadan, um, some of the changes that go on with them as well. John? That's really interesting, um, and, and I imagine that you know the act of fasting that in itself build, over time will build up you know willpower. That you know the once you have resisted food all day, you, you strengthen that muscle, and and so that would presumably help you the next time um, that it occurs. Um, and I suppose also when you, I mean, one advantage of fasting is that in the book we talk about. Uh, that it makes it easier to do things when there are, are bright line rules, that, it, that if it's very clear w- what you can and can't do, then there isn't a lot of decision-making to make, and there isn't you know this, these trade-offs to consider, like can I do, you know, really do it or not? So FAST has the advantage, like you know the no-drinking rule that AA has, is that um, basically it's a very clear rule. I'm not going to eat anything, so I'm not going to agonize about do I have two, you know, two helpings of this or not. I'm just not eating today. So I suppose that's an advantage too. John Tierney is with us if you've tuned in, and we're, as you can hear, talking about willpower. He is the co-author of a book with Roy Baumister, who's a research scientist, called Willpower Rediscovering the Greatest Human Strength. We've heard some really interesting examples from the from the audience this morning about willpower, and, and I'm interested in your experience with this. How do you perceive yourself as someone with strong willpower? What, what gets in the way? What short-circuits your willpower? Maybe you've figured out a way to work around that. I'd be interested in that, too. 651-227-6000-800-242-2828. I'm on Twitter. You can reach me at Carrie NPR. Um, back to the phones here to Greg in Rochester. Hi, Greg. Your uh, question morning. for John. Hi. Um, I ha- I'm a diabetes educator, and I, with uh, people with diabetes, obviously glucose is a um, thing that fluctuates for them, and I'm wondering if the guest research has uh, looked at any implications in terms of um, uh, people with diabetes have to make a lot of choices during yeah. the day, blood sugar monitoring, food choices, exercise, insulin, or pills. And uh, if a person is badly uh, deregulated in terms of they're not in good control, what influence that might have on their ability to make choices or continue to do the things that are going to keep their blood sugar in better control. Mm-hmm. John? Um uh, uh, that's a great question, and diabetes. We do talk about it in the book because you know some of the uh, the earlier indications, and that became more apparent in retrospect, was that there had been studies showing that that self control was more of a problem with for people with diabetes. Now, now it obviously varied a lot, and that but they did. There was a trend showing that the that there were more issues there, and that and it was related to the glucose. Um, and in the book, we talk about Jim Turner, an actor. He played um, uh, um, in Arliss and other things, and and he has a one man show about diabetes, and he talks about his own lapses in self control. How when he gets this this you know this. Um, um, a low on glucose when he gets that 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 he kind of lose you know uh, that he loses self control. He tells about how he went out and, and he got so angry at his teenage son that he went out and, and kicked a dent in the car and 
And one night he woke up, he had this dream where, where he was flying and he was doing a somersault in the room and his wife is desperately trying to get him to drink some fruit juice to get some uh, – to restore sugar there. And so it's definitely an issue and, and, and it's one of the things that, that makes controlling that disease and, and you just have to be more careful in doing it. And now obviously he's been very successful in his career and he's managed to control it, but it's an issue for him that, that he – you know, that, that glucose fluctuations makes it more difficult to – to uh, have willpower all day long. John, I, I want to talk about one of the experiments. Uh, you know, these scientists dream up the most ingenious <laughs> experiments, and you wrote uh, about quite a few of them, but I found this really intriguing. They brought um, some people in, some little guinea pigs in, I guess, and they played them scenes from a highly emotional movie. It's a movie that I love. And then they looked at their willpower after that. So let's listen to the clip from the film, and then we'll talk about the experiment. I know you like me. I know it. For the last year or two, you've been pretending like you hate me. I love you very much. I love you as much as I love anybody. As much as I love myself. And in a few years, when I haven't been around to be on your tail about something or irritating you, you're going to remember. You're going to remember that time that I bought you the baseball glove when you thought we were too broke. You know? Or when I, I read you those stories, or when I, I let you goof off instead of mowing the lawn, lots of things like that. And you're going to realize that you love me. And maybe you're going to feel badly because you never told me. But don't. I know that you love me. Oh my gosh, John, I'm tearing up just listening to oh. it now. It, it's Deborah Winger in terms of endearment. A, a very powerful emotional scene. Talk to me about how the researchers use that in an experiment. Well, they would, that tear jerking scene when, when she's on her deathbed there. And, um, they would play that, uh, that, uh, a video of that for people. And some people were allowed to watch it normally. But some people were told that they had to suppress their emotions and basically stay stoic. And I think um, others may have been told that they had to exaggerate their emotions. But it was the ones who who had to suppress the emotions and try not to cry, try not to look sad. Um, they that depleted their willpower. It, that it took willpower to avoid, you know, tearing up, to avoid reacting to it, to, to keep your face, you know, looking passive. And so afterwards, when they would do these experiments, you know, putting your hand in water, in, in, in ice cold water, or squeezing something, they had less willpower left. And the same effect was observed that they would they would play comic videos with uh, uh, Robin Williams, and some people had to resist laughing. And that the same thing happened, that exerting that self-control over your emotions caused people that used up willpower. So if you, let's say you work in a highly emotional line of work, at the end of the day, that's part of the reason that your willpower is going to be depleted. Exactly. And, 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 you know, and the doctor, someone who's dealing with these traumas all day long and then has to, you know, and can't just lose it, you know, has to really maintain be, and remain calm for the sake of the people around them and, right. and has to process all that. That takes an awful lot of, you know, and, and, the, and the thing about willpower is it's not really intuitive. Um, as you said earlier, that we're depleting this, that, I mean, especially the decision-making part, but also even, you know, that we don't have an intuitive sense for that all these different things from basically from not crying at this, from from being patient, from, you know, smiling at a bad joke of your bosses, from not snapping at someone else, from making yourself, you know, 
you know, uh, write the memo instead of surf the web. All these things deplete the same resource, and we don't really have an intuitive sense for how that happens. John Tierney here now, and we're talking about his new book, his and Roy Baumister's new book called Willpower, to the phones to Catherine in Finland. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Um, yeah, I was um, just wanting to say that I... I've kind of come to use the tenets of, of AA mm. in helping me deal with, um, like, weight loss, for example. I find that if I'm looking at it in the long term, it becomes too overwhelming for me. And so I really um, like the idea of one day at a time. I, I feel like I can do anything one day at a time. And I also wanted to comment that I agree with your first caller in that I can only do one thing at a time. Mm. And for me, and I'll use the weight loss as an example, um, I cannot both exercise and count calories at the same time. <laughs> it just becomes too overwhelming for me. So I have found that I can exercise. Um, if I think about counting the calories, all I do is think about food all day long. <laughs> and that's really worked for me. Oh, it's, 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 I think knowing what really does work for you, I think it's a matter of coming to know yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and really understand your own willpower. John, you have a very interesting chapter about AA, and you, you write about Eric Clapton in it, in the book. Right. Uh, we write about Eric Clapton and, and Mary Carr, the novelist, right. both of whom, you know, stopped drinking uh, using 12-step programs. And, you know, researchers, uh, there is, they certainly work the 12-step programs, and it's, it's hard to know exactly how they work, but you know, but there are various mechanisms that we discussed that, in setting a goal, as uh, as Catherine said, is you know setting realistic short-term goals is is one way to improve your willpower. There's, I mean, there's just a science of the to-do list. We have another chapter, as I said, about you know how to do that the the, the day with David Allen. How you make a realistic one thing at a time, one step at a time. You, and you need both long-term and short-term goals. But just setting that you know one day at a time of AA is a great way to do it. AA. I'll, also helps with the second step of, of self-control. There's first, they're setting the goal. The second step is monitoring yourself. And, you know, the group helps you monitor, and they help. You're, you're kind of outsourcing some of the self-control to the group because you know that you're going to see them, and they'll be disappointed if you did, and you'll have to tell them how many days it's been since you had a drink. You're monitoring. Um, and um, the bad news today is that there are so many more temptations than ever being marketed on the web and just around the clock. But the good news is is that there are all these new tools that people have, uh, these new digital tools that will do some of the grunt work for you, that the new smartphone apps and new gadgets that that can help you um, you know, monitor yourself and enforce. And, and you can sort of outsource some of the self-control. I mean, I... I I was a little skeptical about some of this stuff working, but it worked for me in doing this book. I've always been a terrible procrastinator as a journalist. You know, from my days, I you know I worked at the Minneapolis Tribune when I was in you college. Did? I didn't yes, know that. Huh. I was a summer, and I made I think three or four mistakes um, that, that required correcting, and I couldn't get a summer job. I mean, I couldn't get a permanent job because I made the mistakes. And, um, so, but I'd always, you know, had turned in stuff at the last minute, college papers, columns, my whole career. And on this book, for the first time, we actually finished it two months ahead of time. Wow. And I, I was using the techniques that Roy did. I mean, he's very disciplined, but also just very, some very basic techniques about monitoring how many words I wrote and forcing myself to write down uh, how many I did today, setting goals. I used the software. I talk about in the book the software that monitored what I did with my computer. So it would just, I mean, it didn't tell anyone. 
you can actually set it up so it'll tell your spouse or your boss or anything if you really want to try and outsource it. But it's just telling you that you spent this many hours this week surfing the web and this many hours writing. That was really a useful thing. And, and you know, it's, I mean, it's not just that it's a bad thing penalizing yourself. You also can sort of see progress when right. you monitor yourself. You know, John, so, I, I was going to say that when I, when I think about what you said about so many temptations, it's so – and not just – Oh, there's so many different kinds of food that you can buy. So many different temptations, you know, overall. Temptation to spend time, screen time doing something else. Temptation to push it all away and listen to your iPod. You know, just with the technology seems to have increased the the amount of temptations we have to confront. Exactly. I, I, I... In the book, we talk about how during the Middle Ages, you know, most people just – you were a farmer and you went to work in the morning and you couldn't really do anything else. And there weren't that many temptations aside from, you know, adultery and, and <laughs> you know, and, and, and alcohol. And people who were kind of drunk a lot of the time anyway, I think, back then, they had <laughs> ale with all the meals. So – but now, I mean, you report to work physically, but you can, you mm-hmm. know, you can just absent yourself any any minute. So all day long, you're basically – You've got to force yourself to do it. And so to the extent that you can use these new tools to outsource it to someone else's, you know, they're, they're, you know there's software that, uh, that can cut you off from the Internet for a few hours a day automatically and make you, you know, write something if that's what you're trying to do. Or, so, <laughs> John, it's actually interesting to hear about your career path. <laughs> and look where you are now, right? Well, I failed at the Tribune, but I... <laughs> <laughs> but you succeeded uh, in the end. I had a great time in Minneapolis. And I lived there um, also um, when I was in first grade. I lived near uh, Lake Calhoun oh. on Chowan Avenue. So yeah. it's a wonderful place. I love it. Uh, to the phones to Edith in Waterdale. Hi, Edith. What's your question Hi. about this? I, um, listening to your program, I appreciate it very much. I was just wondering, in high school, I made the decision to not drink. I could go to parties, not often, but, and then I worked one summer in college in Colorado, um, you know, there by myself working, and we would go up in the mountains and, you know, have parties at night, and mm-hmm. I would just choose not to drink, mm-hmm. and I've always kind of wondered how I could do that, um, you know, what looking at a lot of people around me that didn't make that choice, and the only conclusion I came up with was I didn't want to lose control. Uh-huh. So you had a very strong sense of self-control that you valued. I guess. <laughs> and and Well, that's a great uh, that's a great instinct because, you know, alcohol does one of the things that it just weakens your uh, uh your impulse control and basically so it, it weakens your willpower so you basically give in to things that you wouldn't ordinarily. So that's, you know, your 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 intuition was absolutely right. Edith, do you think you could do it today? Uh I don't think I would do as well today. I know he, when your uh, the author John was talking about procrastination, I have just retired and now I'm trying to figure out you know a new path, and I tend to be procrastinating. <laughs> so your your willpower, your self control has diminished now that you don't have to what be somewhere and exert it as much eight hours a day. Right. I guess. So it's huh. now trying to find a new you know a new vision for myself. Right. Thanks for the call. You're welcome. Uh, John, uh, on Twitter here, what's the link between willpower and individual development of the prefrontal cortex? You have written about some neuroscience on this. Um, well, they've identified parts of the brain that actually are activated during willpower, and they've, they've even shown that um, 
Uh, they've done experiments with glucose showing that when you add glucose to the body, to the bloodstream, when people drink it, then and you can see that the parts involved in, in, in self-control and willpower actually, um, that there's more activity there. And that so they, in fact, you know, there were researchers who were somewhat skeptical about this glucose connection because they, you know, they couldn't quite figure out um, how this energy would work. And then, and, and they just announced last year, actually, at the big annual convention of, of social psychologists, you know, one of the skeptics had, uh, had done these neuroscience experiments you know brain imaging and they had found that in fact this glucose effect was was evident in the brain you guys you mm. see how it affected self-control in the brain on twitter uh, a listener says my wife would say you only lose weight when a doctor tells you she's right lost 30 pounds changed my diet entirely you know we had a lot of calls from people who have either quit smoking or are trying to quit smoking i know you wrote about this advice for, for those uh, people, um, just do one thing at a time. You know, don't worry about your weight. You know, people who quit smoking tend to gain weight, and I wouldn't worry about that. Um, I would certainly reward yourself often. One of the things, you know, you spend that money that you were spending on cigarettes. Make sure that you, you know, do something self-indulgent. Have an expensive meal with it. You know, reward yourself. Um, you may want that. There's been some evidence. It's it's not consistent that. You know, people tend to crave sweets, you know, because, you know, they want that burst of glucose. And and there was there were some works suggesting that, that having sweet, you know, you know, just some sweets and, and, and sugary things would help smokers in the short term, um, you know, besides doing, you know, Nicorette's and other and nicotine aids. I mean, I think the nicotine aids are just a great way to do it. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a former smoker myself. And uh, um, and I, I quit cold turkey a long time ago, but I lapsed a few times and... Now, though, I, you know, when I've lapsed, you know, I, I just go to Nicorette's and, uh, or, or the nicotine lozenges and now these smokeless cigarettes, um, and, uh, the e-cigarettes, and all that stuff is good, you know, replacement th- therapy, and it makes it easier to get off the smoking habit. To the phones to Kathy in Minneapolis. Hi, Kathy. Hi. What's your experience with this? Um, well, I wanted to mention that I had extremely good luck um, a year ago when I enrolled in a Jenny Craig program Mm -hmm. where everything was decided for you. Uh I didn't have to shop at the store. I didn't have to think about what I was going to eat. The food just came to the door, and there were no decisions that I had to make about it, and it was really successful. Kathy, what happened happened once the food wasn't delivered to your door and you were making decisions? Well, I decided to try that same method on my own. I made my own Jenny Craig dinners and wrote out my own menus and um, have tried to stick to that kind of philosophy. It's not quite as good, but um, it certainly helps to write out a menu a week in advance so I don't have to think about Right. Well, what am I going to eat today? It's all decided already. See, this is interesting, John, taking the decision-making part of that out of it. Exactly. That's a great strategy. And also there's something in the book we talk about called the hot-cold empathy gap, and that you know, when you're not hungry, it's easier to plan a sensible meal than when you are hungry. And this is true for lots of other emotions. That it's, that, so to the extent that you can pre-commit yourself to a certain kind of meal and plan it in advance when you're not hungry, that's a huge way. That, you know, that's a big help. And then you don't have to decide at the meal, you know, what am I going to make? Because if you're really hungry at that point, then you're more likely to choose something you know, that, uh, that you wouldn't have chosen um, 
uh, earlier. Well, this is like roaming through a grocery store when you're hungry, which I have a bad habit of doing. My my willpower is completely <laughs> depleted the more decisions I make when I'm hungry in a grocery store. Hmm. And by the time you get to the register, you know, it's it's gone. And that's why they have all the, the candy there. The, the, not for nothing are they called impulse purchases. Yeah, let's talk about how the marketers um, really understand this. I mean, they've got the science of willpower down, don't they? I mean, they know what, you know, it's a great thing in supermarkets that they put all that candy in those sweets, you know, with instant hits of glucose right at the <laughs> register after you've made all these decisions in the aisles about how many, you know, what to buy. So it's a very tough time. And people have, have talked about how, how for low-income people it's, a, it's an especially difficult thing because they're making more trade-offs when they're shopping. The, you know, the, 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 for an affluent person, it's not a big choice about how much you spend on something in a grocery store. But for someone who has to balance, do I get this or do I get medicine or something else, that's that's a bigger trade-off and it involves more willpower. So, and you end up more depleted at the, you know, and so you might be more likely to buy the junk food near the, you know, near the register at the, at the end of the process. You know, John, I watched, after I read your book, I watched television commercials very differently too and began to understand some of the ideas behind the way they market products. I mean... Oh, what did you see there? Um, well, I just, I mean, the visual imagery and and the pitch and the trying to make you feel good enough to overwhelm, I guess, the willpower. I mean, Exactly. I, and, and focus on the short-term reward instead of the long-term right, goal. Exactly. And, and it becomes so appealing, that short-term. I mean, you know, and just simple strategies, and they've done experiments that simply, you know, keeping chocolate candy in a drawer instead of on your desk you'll eat you know, much less of it during the day. And if you put it on, on a shelf across across the room from your desk, that helps too. Simple things about not having to look at that all day long. They've done experiments with people who watch a movie with a bowl of M&Ms next to them. And it's a big difference whether it's right next to you and you're looking at it or whether it's just a little bit away, whether you're having to constantly resist the urge to have that M&M. Well, think about when you walk into a movie theater. What God. You pay, you, you buy the ticket, <laughs> what's the first thing you're presented with the delicious smell of popcorn and all of this candy to exactly. buy, exactly. And then once you bring it to your seat, it's right there, and you're, you know, I mean, how could you not finish the popcorn? So, John, this has been a real pleasure. We're we're going to close with a song about willpower. <laughs> Bet you know which one, <laughs> Gary Puckett. <laughs> oh, thank you, Gary. It's really John, fun. thank you. John Tierney's book is called <laughs> Willpower. <laughs> <laughs> 